Let us all turn to the Word of God. We're going to read today from the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel and the chapter 2. May I re-echo those words that Mr. Higginson has brought to your attention. We do thank you for your your love and your kindness uh, throughout the year, but certainly at this Christmas season. Uh, for ourselves, we were overwhelmed with your kindness. Ever so many Christmas cards as well. We thank you for your prayers, how important it is to take note of that, to know that there are those who in the congregation faithfully Bring us to the throne of grace in prayer. So it's an occasion for thanksgiving, and we do recognize your kindness unto us in the Lord. We pray the Lord will be with you all through this Christmas season and on into the new year to give you encouragement to press on with God. No matter what we find in the world around us, the world is no friend to grace. We're reminded of that. This vile world, indeed, no friend to grace to help us on to God. But there's encouragement. There's encouragement with the Lord. We have a precious portion here in the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to begin at verse 1 and read on through to the 14th verse there. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. How often you've heard me say something like this through the course of the year. It's a good thing, I think, to say it on this day. A day which we recognize not only as part of the Christmas season, but the last Lord's Day of the year. Let us turn to this word of life. This book of books, this God-breathed word, we must remind ourselves again and again of the preciousness and the power of the word of God. And we do. Verse 1 in the chapter, And it came to pass in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The reference is to the Roman world. Uh, The Roman Empire just meant everything to those who were citizens of that empire. And the rest of the world was filled with barbarians. That was their attitude. That was their thinking. And the world here, therefore, is... The world that mattered to them, those who were subjects of Caesar, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage 
of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word this day for his name's sake. We'll turn in the word of God again, please, to the Gospel of Luke, that second chapter, and our text is found in verse 10. We're going to look at the portion as a whole this morning, and God willing, again this evening. But verse number 10 records it as the angel spoke to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The angel said unto them, Fear not. Let's pray together. Let's seek the Lord, please. Our loving God and our everlasting Father, we come before thy throne in the Savior's name, thanking thee for the presence of God with us already, for the singing of thy praise and for the reading of thy word and for the seeking of thy face in prayer. And Lord, here we are again, poor and needy, and yet the Lord thinketh upon us. We pray that the Spirit of God will speak into our hearts just now. And we pray today for every individual and for every family and for every specific need that the Lord himself will come and speak to us through his word, by his Spirit, right into our very hearts, and we might be very conscious of thy presence. So, Father, give great grace and help Grant the infilling and the anointing of the Spirit of God. 
we confess our absolute dependency upon thee. Come in their midst, we ask. Glorify thy Son, we pray in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Over the last number of weeks and months, you'll be very much aware, if you've been with us in our services, we've been thinking about facing some of our giants. There are many, many giants that we face day and daily. And perhaps one of the greatest giants that men and women and young people are facing in this day and generation is the giant of fear. Fear is one of society's greatest problems. And people today fear all sorts of different things. And some of our fears are legitimate. Perhaps in our own minds we can justify feeling anxious and afraid and fearful. And then sometimes people are given to an ordinate fear of things that maybe are not all that fearful at all. But the reality is that man never knew fear until sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve really never knew what fear was until they sinned against the Lord and broke God's covenant with them and took of that forbidden fruit. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. And the Word of God records it in Genesis chapter 3 that they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And then the Lord came and challenged them and called out and said, Adam, where art thou? And Adam came before the Lord and said, Lord, I was afraid and I hid myself. He had never known that type of fear before. And with the coming of sin into the world and into the human race, all of a sudden man knew what the sense of fear and foreboding and anxiety was to grip his heart. And rather than fleeing into the arms of his Savior and his God, Adam hid and tried to cover himself and run away from God. And man has been doing the same ever since. Rather than throwing ourselves into the arms of a loving Savior, this world of ours and its fear and anxiety runs and hides and tries to find a remedy in a cursed earth and in a cursed world. And also fear is something that will escalate in the closing days of time. In Luke chapter 21, 26, as the Son of God spoke about the characteristics of society in the closing days of time, he said that men's hearts will fail them for fear. And even nowadays, the medical professors say that stress and anxiety and fear are some of the biggest killers in our day and affect mankind in so many different ways. And I also believe as well that the media, by and large, does a lot to promote fear amongst the world all around us. So often the news media does not always report on what is happening, but focus a lot upon what might happen. The Daily Telegraph, just a couple of days ago, carried a headline uh, with a, a kind of a forecast for 2023. And the headline simply said, Britain faces spike in divorces and unhappiness next year. That's what the headline said. Britain faces a spike in unhappiness next year. 
Telling people that the year that's coming is going to be a year whenever we're all going to be more unhappy than ever. What type of fear does that stir up in the hearts of our society? And the Word of God as well is full of examples of people who were afraid, even oftentimes God's people. Many times in the Gospels you read about the fear that possessed the hearts of the disciples. Maybe out there in the Sea of Galilee, whenever a great storm of wind arose and they cried out for fear and they said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? And then the Lord rebuked the wind and the waves and said, Why were ye fearful? O ye of little faith. And sometimes, maybe even in recent times, you've been tempted to ask the Lord, Lord, do you not care that we're sinking here, we're perishing? And we cry out for fear. And so it was with Peter. Whenever he was walking in the, on the waves, and all of a sudden he looked down and saw the waves and felt the wind boisterous around him and cried out and said, Lord, save me. And he was full of fear. And then not only on the Sea of Galilee were the disciples afraid, but in the Garden of Gethsemane they were afraid as well. And their fear, like the fear that gripped Adam's heart all of those centuries previous, Fear gripped the hearts of the disciples, and they all forsook the Lord and fled. And sometimes fear can cause even a child of God to run away from the Lord instead of running into the Lord's arms. Fear can cause us to run from the one who is able to deal with our fears. And isn't it remarkable as well, whenever we think of the great news of the coming of the Savior into the world, and the nativity of our Lord, the incarnation of Christ, his first coming into this world, the people that would affect and bless initially were the ones that were overcome with fear. A couple of Lord's Day mornings ago, we considered Joseph and the fear that gripped his heart. And the angel said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. And then we thought last Lord's Day morning about the fear that gripped the heart of Mary. Fear not Mary. And now in Luke chapter 2, we see something of the fear that possessed the hearts of the shepherds. Even though they were about to receive the greatest news that had ever been given, the news of a coming Savior, and God had signally chosen them and ordained it that they would be the first ones outside of Mary and Joseph to witness the infant Christ as he had come into the world. But we read in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 9, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. We could render those words, sore afraid. They were extremely frightened, or simply, and they were terrified. I believe Luke chapter 2, especially from verse 8 down to 20, is one of the most beautiful and enriching portions in all the Word of God. So rich in teaching, so rich in doctrine and theology, and yet at the same time so rich in promise, comfort, and application to the hearts of all who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And as with Joseph and as with Mary, and so here with the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, we see the reality of fear, the reasons for fear, the remedy to their fears, 
and also the results of their fears having been overcome. Verse number 10, fear not for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. And so just in the moments that remain, we're going to consider some of the verses that surround our text and then look again at some later on this evening. Look first of all then at verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. We could look at a little verse like that and say, well, that's just incidental. That's just adding a little bit of beef, if you like, a little bit of meat to the narrative. But there's maybe not much in a verse like that for us in 2022. I beg to differ. I think verse number 8 again is rich in application. There were in the same country, in the same country that Jesus Christ our Lord was born in, just in the same locality, in the same country, maybe just a mile or two from the place where he had been born, in the same country, there were shepherds abiding in the field. The Savior came to where they were. He came to the very same country. And it's a beautiful truth to consider that the Savior comes to where we are. The Word of God says in Acts 17, 27, that He be not far from every one of us. And even in a country like this, a country like Northern Ireland, you do not have to travel very far to find a place where the Lord resides in the midst of His people. The promise of God holds true that where two or three are met together in His name, there He is in the midst of them. And Mary and Joseph were gathered around that little manger, and they were so thankful, and undoubtedly they were worshipping the one who had come into the world to be their Savior. Mary acknowledged that. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my soul hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And I believe that Mary and Joseph, as they looked into that manger and they saw that Jesus Christ the Lord had been born, they worshipped Him. And He was right there in the midst. And in the very same country, shepherds abiding in their field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And they didn't have to travel too far to see the Savior for themselves. And we do not have to travel too far. He's not far from every one of us. And maybe presently you're outside the family and fold of God. You're outside of the kingdom of Christ. You're outside of the ark of God's salvation. And yet he's not far from you today. He's nearer, as it were, than hands or feet. And even in a meeting like this, you can call upon him and behold the Lamb of God for yourself. And put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now. In the same country, shepherds. The first people to see him and the first people to come from outside of his immediate family of Mary and Joseph, the first people to see him were not the religious leaders of the day. They were not scribes, Pharisees, Levites, or doctors of the law. They were ordinary people. We have no reason to believe that these men were especially religious. 
In fact, the reality is that the religious leaders, while they knew the promises of God's Word and the prophecies of God's Word, and they were able to say to Herod and his men from Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They knew what the Bible taught, but they had no desire to go and see for themselves. And there are many like that today. They know what the Bible teaches. They can recite Scripture. They can quote John 3.16. They can explain the gospel. They can say that Christ was born in Bethlehem and crucified outside of the city walls of Jerusalem and rose again from a borrowed tomb and is coming back again someday in glory. And his feet will stand that day in the Mount of Olives. And they can explain the whole plan of salvation, but they have never for themselves tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they have never for themselves beheld the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And maybe today that's you. You know the gospel. You can quote scripture. You could defend the faith. You could rightly perhaps divide the word of truth. And you know the gospel so well. But you've never been to see Christ for yourself. But these shepherds came the very first time they heard something of the gospel. Notice it says there were shepherds abiding in the field. That indicates to me that they were serious and they were steadfast. They were abiding in the field, the place of work and labor and toil and service. And not only were they abiding in the field, not only were they serious and steadfast, but they were keeping watch. They were sober and they were vigilant. And they were keeping watch over their flock. They were practical and they were protective. And dear friends, I don't believe it's any coincidence that the first people that the Lord called onto himself were people who were abiding in the field, people who were keeping watch, and men who were concerned about their flock, men who were serious and steadfast, Men who were sober and vigilant. Men who were practical and protective. And that's the type of people that Jesus Christ is looking for. To follow him. People who will abide in the field of service. People who will keep watch and will be sober and vigilant, knowing that there's an adversary out there. And people who will watch over the flock of God. And be concerned for God's flock and will not want any harm to come to God's flock, and will want the very best for the family and for the fold of God. That's the type of people that Jesus Christ was looking for. And we see in these shepherds the type of an under-shepherd, men and women who want to serve the Lord with gladness, and want the very best for God's flock and God's fold and God's family. And you'll notice as well in verse number 8, they were keeping watch over their flock by night. It was cold. It was dark spiritually. And they were out there in those Judean hillsides exposed to the elements. And again, this morning, maybe that symbolizes you in a spiritual sense. You find yourself on a spiritual night. Maybe towards the things of God, your heart's cold. Maybe you're exposed to the elements and the the things in this world and the storms of life. 
Maybe you find yourself today in spiritual darkness. And yet the angel of the Lord came upon them, upon the shepherds. Isn't it interesting that the first people to come and see the great shepherd were shepherds themselves? They could identify with the type of life that Jesus Christ was going to live. Because if there was ever one that abided in the field, if there was ever one that kept watch, if there was ever one that looked after and looked over his flock, it's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. It's the great shepherd who provides for his sheep. And it's the chief shepherd who the Bible says is coming again for the sheep. And yet the psalmist David could say, the Lord is my shepherd. David himself was a shepherd. He could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And here's a group of men. We're not sure how many there were. There might have been three, as is often depicted in scenes of the nativity. There might have only been two. There might have been four or five or six. We're not sure. But these shepherds could get the place where they could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And I pray that's the place that you get to this morning. Where you can leave a meeting like this on a Christmas morning and say that not only is the Lord the shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. Notice verse number 9. It begins with the words, and lo. Now that little word, lo, is just a word that's there to get our attention. It's a little bit like the word, behold, and lo. Stop and consider. Think about what's happening. Would you believe it? Something unusual? Something unexpected? Something out of the realm of the ordinary and something out of the realm of the natural is about to happen. And lo, and the Lord wants us to consider. Then it says, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Now, it's not expressly said that this is the angel Gabriel but it very may well have been. But certainly it was the messenger or the angel that the Lord had sent. And this angel comes with a message for these shepherds. Now, they may never have been accustomed to going to a place of worship. And even if they had gone to the temple or the synagogues of their day, they might not have heard very much. But the Lord knew that these men, they need a message from heaven. And friends, there's all the difference in the world between hearing a truth and hearing a sermon and really hearing a message. I remember listening one time to Pastor Willie Mullen in an old cassette tape. He was talking about Dr. Harry Ironside of the Mamoudi Memorial Church in Chicago. And he says, Dr. Ironside used to say to his students, that there's a big difference between God's truth and God's message. He says God's message will always be God's truth. But God's truth might not necessarily be God's message for a given moment. And this class looked at him and they didn't really understand what he was saying. And then he said, well, I could go along to my pulpit on a Sunday morning. And I could preach the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I could expound the Word of God and talk about His literal, visible, glorious return. And he asked his class, he says, would that be God's truth? And everybody in the class said, yes, that would be God's truth. 
And then he says, but would it necessarily be God's message for that particular people at that particular moment? And then the penny dropped. Well, it it would certainly be God's truth, but it might not necessarily be the very thing that God wants them to hear at that particular moment in their lives. But the word angel means messenger. And the prophet Haggai said that he spoke as the Lord's messenger with the Lord's message. And how we long for times whenever God will come himself and speak to our hearts and give us not just the truth. And as we meet together Lord's day by Lord's day in the year that lies ahead in the will of God, that yes, we will open God's truth. But more than hearing God's truth, we will receive God's message for our lives at that particular time. Do you ever open your Bible and you feel hungry and thirsty for God and you need a word for Him? And you pray in earnest and say, Lord, I need a word from you. Lord, would you open your word to my heart? Would you open my heart to your word? Lord, would you open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of thy law? And as you begin to read, or as you begin to listen, you discover God is speaking to me. And this is a message from heaven for my soul. This is what the shepherds are about to receive. The angel of the Lord came upon them, and then the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. I'm persuaded that this is what we often refer to in Scripture as the Shekinah glory, the glory of the Lord shining forth. You know, some skeptics have tried to say, in the beginning, God created light. But it wasn't until after that that created the, He created the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets. And they asked the question, where did the light come from? If God hadn't yet created the sun, where did the light come from? And they're so smart, and they think that they've got you over a barrel with this. But whenever God said, let there be light, he didn't need the light of the sun or the light of the stars, because God is light, and in him is no darkness. And God caused the light of his glory, I believe, to shine. Just as we read in Exodus chapter 40 and verse number 34, a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And it was so whenever Solomon built his temple, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And it was so whenever Stephen was being stoned to death, he saw the heavens opened, and he saw the glory of the Lord. And the Bible says concerning the new Jerusalem, that the city hath no need for the sun or the moon or, or any natural light, because the Lamb and the Lord is the light thereof. And this was something of that particular glory, the same glory that a believer sees whenever they approach the throne of heaven. What must it be like for a child of God to leave this world? For them to close their eyes on all of the things that they see in this present world. And for their eyes to open and they behold the lights of glory. And for the sounds of this world, maybe the doctors or the loved ones around the bed, and the sounds of this earth start to go strangely dim and are overtaken by the, the sounds of angels and, and believers singing around the throne of the Lamb. 
It must be the most remarkable and the most beautiful thing. As Anne Ross Cousins wrote in her great hymn based on the writings of the saintly Samuel Rutherford, speaking of heaven, she says, The bride, the church, the believer, the bride eyes not her garments, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on the King of grace, not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. For the Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Here in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 9, something of heaven is touching earth. And oh to God that something of heaven would touch your heart this morning. And you would realize that the Savior that came from glory came into this world for you to go to a cross for you, to live and to die and to shed His blood for you and to rise again for you. And you'll receive His fullness. And you'll respond to the call of the gospel. I've got a message for you today. That message is that God loves you and that Jesus Christ came into this world to go to a cross for you. But the reality is, in the midst of it all, the angel coming upon them, the glory of the Lord shining round about them, it says, and they were sore afraid. They were afraid of the very thing that was the answer to all of their needs. Many today are afraid of the gospel. Many today are afraid to give their lives to God. Many today are afraid to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ. They have this idea that somehow it'll destroy their lives. It'll rob them of joy and liberty and freedom. But dear friends, if that's you and you're afraid to become a Christian, you're afraid of the gospel, you're afraid to give your life to God, you're afraid to confront your past, you're afraid to trust Christ with your present and commit to Him your future. The very thing today that you fear most is the very thing that can set you free and that God can bless you with. Because look at verse number 10. The angel said unto them, Fear not. The angel said unto them collectively. The angel spoke to Mary privately. The angel spoke to Joseph privately, but now the angel speaks to the shepherds collectively. And there's such a thing as getting a word from God in private, getting alone with God and opening the Bible for yourself and having God speak to you in the private place in the closet. But there's also such a thing as meeting together with God's people and having God come and speak to us collectively and enjoying the presence of God collectively, and having the presence of God in our midst collectively. It's so important, yes, to have a word from God, and to enter into the closet, and to worship God within the confines of your home. But it's so important as well to meet together publicly and collectively. The Bible says that God loves the dwellings of Jacob. Of course He does. But the Bible says the Lord loves the gates of Zion, more than all of the dwellings of Jacob. He loves the place of public assembly. It brings delight and joy to the heart of Almighty God whenever His people meet together, even if it's only two or three. He still delights in that. And sad to relate in this day and generation we're living, we find it very easy to close our churches. Even now to celebrate the coming of Christ into the world, we'll close our churches. I can understand that people meet together on this day, this special Christmas day, with friends and family, 
and with loved ones. And praise God for that liberty and for that great blessing. But dear friends, we should rejoice and want to meet together on a day like this because God has sent His Son into this world to be your Savior. And the angel said, fear not. And there you have it again, fear not. Many times in the Bible, God says to us over and over again, let not your hearts be troubled. Be not afraid. Fear not. Over and over again. And again, you've got the little word here, the little word for. Fear not for. Fear not because. And the injunction or the commandment not to fear is an extra join to the reason why we're not to be afraid. It isn't that God just says to us, don't worry, and then leaves us hanging on a limb. But God says, don't worry, don't be afraid, fear not. And here's a reason not to fear. And you have that many times in the Word of God. We made reference last Lord's Day to some verses in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 41, you've got more. Fear not, fear thou not, for, because... I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God says, do not be afraid. Why? I'm your God. I'm with you. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. Thou art mine. I've got you by the hand. Underneath and round about are the everlasting arms. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the fires, I'll go before you. When you walk through the floods, you'll not be overcome. When you go through the fiery furnace, the flame shall not kindle upon thee. And here we have it in Luke chapter 2. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. And our English Bible there, the words good tidings in the original Greek is the same word that is translated gospel. Fear not, for I bring you good news. Fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel. If you remember last Lord's Day, the answer to Mary's fears, it was the grace of God. Now the answer to the shepherd's fears, it's the gospel of God. And the answer to the fears in the hearts of a believer is the grace of God, the wonderful truths of the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul defined it so simply and succinctly. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is the gospel by which ye are saved, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And shepherds that are terrified and afraid, here's the answer. You're in the dark, you're in the cold, you're out there exposed to the elements. Something is happening in your life now that you can't explain. Do not be afraid because I'm bringing you the gospel. A Savior has come and he's going to go to a cross. Pay the price for your sins. God loves you. Christ is going to die for you. He's going to rise again. He's going to reign in righteousness. He's coming back again. He lives forevermore. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Dear friends, where there is no gospel, fear and superstition reign, 
Many of the world's religions are governed and driven by fear and tradition and rules and, and regulations. And in this secular society of ours, where people don't want the gospel and they shut the gospel out, the very thing that can meet the human heart at the point of need and alleviate all of our fears, where there's no gospel, fear will reign and fear will rise. And we see that happening more and more and more. And the media are predicting more of it in the year to come. And the further we get away from grace, and the further we get away from the gospel, the closer we get to fear and anxiety and all that goes with that. I bring you good tidings of great joy. May there be joy in your heart today as you think about the Savior that came into this world. Great joy for all people. It's a universal gospel. It's for the whosoever. Maybe you look at yourself this morning and you think, I'm the last person in the world that could really be a Christian. Those shepherds probably thought the same. We're not like the people there in Jerusalem. We're not like the people that go to the temple and the synagogue. We don't dress like them. We don't talk like them. We don't believe the things that they believe. We're, we're not interested in those things. But yet the God of glory was interested in them. And the God of heaven, friend, he's interested in you. And this gospel is for all people. This gospel is for you. The Bible says it's for the whosoever. That whosoever includes you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. May God write this word upon your heart. And may God give you a word in season. May God alleviate your fears and may you come to know this great truth that the Son of God came seeking even for us. Our time is gone. We'll look at this portion again, God willing, this evening.